This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, personal finance expert and money coach to the NFL. Took everything I learned coaching pro athletes over the last 10 years and founded Financial Footwork to help you become more financially fit, find success with your money, and live the lifestyle you want with the money that you've got. Silicon Valley Bank. If you don't know what this is by now, buckle up because we're going to talk about it. How did the 16th largest bank in the U.S. fail? Well, it was a combination of the perfect storm of economic events mixed with the types of depositors at their bank, and then it led to a collapse after the tech sector took a massive hit. So let's start by understanding what happened, how banks work, and I want to give you a quick three-minute rundown on how banks actually work because we never learn it in school. If you've heard this before, just take the refresher and then we're going to jump into what actually happened to Silicon Valley Bank and what's going on economically with banks right this second. So let's train your money like a pro athlete trains for success and dive into how banking works. Banks are pretty simple. They take money in, deposits, and they turn around and they lend those deposits. Government regulations allow banks to lend a certain percentage of those deposits, keeping the rest as Liquid funds, liquidity. I'm sure you've heard that term if you've been following anything to do with Silicon Valley Bank. When depositors need to withdraw their funds, banks have to have a certain percentage of those funds on hand. This is that give and take. They deposit money, banks lend it, and they keep a certain percentage on hand. Generally, banks can predict or estimate the depositor withdrawal trends for their bank based on previous patterns. And then they can lend that excess in the short term to the Fed overnight the Federal Reserve Bank, or they can do longer term notes, which allow them to make a little bit more cash on the money you've deposited. Now, we talked about liquidity a little bit. Let's go back to that. Banks have to keep a certain percent of cash on hand at all times to meet those depositor withdrawal needs. Now, bank liquidity ratios, that's a thing, are a balance the banks are always trying to manage. It's not a perfect number, and they're always adjusting and catering to what that mix needs to be. Too much cash or too little cash can actually be a bad thing for the bank. So they're actually looking to strike a balance and a good balance, not only for their depositors, but also for the bottom line of the bank. Because at the end of the day, it is a for-profit business. And if they aren't making any money, then they can't do things like extend loans to the people that need them. Mortgages, auto loans, unsecured loans, business lines of credit, business real estate. All of these things stem from how the bank manages their portfolio. How do banks actually use these deposits? Let's dive right into it. There's a couple different ways banks lend the money that their depositors put into their institution. One of the primary ways for individuals is mortgages, auto loans, unsecured loans, things like that. Now, credit cards are a completely different beast. We're not going to talk about those today. We're just talking about fixed rate secured backed loans. The other side of it that banks lend to are business loans, commercial loans, building equipment, working capital. They can also invest that money into company bonds or government treasuries. Usually company bonds are short-term notes, one to three years. Govy treasuries can be one to 10-year note. Usually they'll keep them on the little sh- on the uh, shorter end of the spectrum just to keep a little bit more liquidity. So if they have to sell, they can. That's a really fast overview of Banking 101. I went really high level. I didn't hit everything. There's going to be things that we could talk about in more depth in the future, but I wanted to give you an idea of how the banking system works. In a sum, it's deposits come in, banks hold those deposits and then lend them out and or invest them to make money and then turn around to have enough liquidity to give bank depositors their money when they need to withdraw it. That is the banking system in a really fast nutshell. Now let's talk about what happened with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and why their situation was pretty damn unique in the scheme of how banks work. 
So what made SVB unique? 95% of their deposits were over the $250,000 FDIC insurance limits. 95% of the money in this bank was not FDIC insured. What that means is that a lot of the customers, mostly business customers and high-level tech entrepreneurs, had way more than $250,000 in deposits at this bank at any given time. That's not normal for the majority of banks in the United States. This is a high-tech, high-VC client base, which is a little bit higher of a risk. Now, let's talk about some things that SVB did differently that people don't really know about but have led to where they are today. Let's take it all the way back to 2018. In 2018, they were a $49 billion bank. That's still a pretty nice size bank in the grand scheme of things. But over a four-year period, they grew to $209 billion in deposits. That is a 300-plus percentage growth in deposits over a four-year period. That is literally unheard of. Sit on those numbers for a minute. $49 billion to $209 billion. That's a huge growth of deposits. This created a huge amount of excess deposits between 2018 and 2022, which SVB needed to invest because again, liquidity ratio, some of it they needed to offload. They did need to have some on hand for withdrawals, but the tech sector was booming. People weren't really withdrawing money and they had very limited lending opportunities. So they invested in short-term treasuries and bonds which if you know anything about the bond market, I'm not going to go into it today, but let's just say the bond market took a hit and SVB suffered the consequences of that. So now we're going to dive into FDIC insurance because everything comes back to what the federal government did when they stepped in and seized control of SVB Bank. FDIC insurance is an insurance policy for the benefit of the consumer and business depositors, not a benefit to the bank. It's, It's a benefit to you and I or the businesses that we run. And the banks pay a fee into that FDIC insurance fund to support the insurance policy. Let me give you an example. You pay your car insurance premium every single year. Banks have to pay their insurance premium to have depositor insurance every single year. Now, FDIC insurance covers most depositors up to $250,000. Most of us don't have that much money sitting in a bank. SVB was unique in the sense that 95% of their deposits were over that limit. So when there was a quote run on the bank, when people wanted their money out and their liquidity ratios were all messed up, a lot of those funds weren't insured funds by the FDIC. Now let's talk a little bit about bank liquidity stress and sum all this up so you can actually get a really good idea of what happened from start to finish and how SVB bank landed where they landed. So Turmoil caused by liquidity stress in banking. Got a lot of words there. Banks were flooded with excess cash from government benefits paid to consumers and businesses during COVID. We all know about the consumer checks. We know about PPP loans. There was a lot of money being thrown around. We are talking billions of dollars. And this all came in the matter of, what, two years? Which uh, I understand it was the pandemic. This happens. It was pushed in. All that money was thrown into the system. All right, so now we have two years of excess built-up cash. These excess cash deposits that were put into banks, because that's where people were putting it, were invested in short-term investments by those banks. Then inflation led to the decline in value of those bank investments, treasuries, and short-term loans. Now, that all leads us to SVB. It's a double whammy. The value of the bank investments decreased as the feds continue to raise the interest rates to battle inflation. Thank you, feds. Thank you, inflation. So all of this stuff is happening in the background, which is causing us 
to end up where we are with SVB. As demand for the withdrawals of these deposits start increasing, which is exactly what happened, created by the tech sector having some problems. Y'all seen the layoffs, Meta laid off 10% of its workforce. We're seeing it all across the tech sector. We start seeing a demand for higher withdrawals. Companies need more working capital. They got to pay their people. Companies have to pay their bills. Instead of having that money come in like they're used to, they're withdrawing it from their reserves or the money in their accounts, their working capital accounts. So business challenges have increased costs, especially in the tech sector. SVB services tech sector clients. And it's requiring those companies to withdraw those deposits, i.e. spend and use their cash, which was not being accessed as much or as frequently over the last three to five years because of our country's economic strength and consumer spending was really, really high. So we were seeing a lot of money moving. Now, as all of this was happening simultaneously, consumers and businesses were concerned with bank deposits over the $250,000 FDIC limit, those people banking with SVB, which created that run on the bank, which is basically where everyone goes in and says, I want all my money out right now and give it to me in cash. Banks don't hold that much cash, guys. It's not how it works. So to get their money out quickly, SVB had to liquidate or sell their short-term investments, which have been declining in value. So in SVB's case, that led to a $1.8 billion loss on paper, which rattled the hell out of Wall Street, coupled with all the social media mania, which led to a run on the banks. That squeezed the bank's liquidity ratios, cash on hand, and they couldn't meet the withdrawal needs of their clients. So federal government stepped in and said, whoa, 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 we're going to pause everything real quick and get this sorted out. Now, we did see something similar to this, in 2008, when WAMU collapsed, they were the biggest bank in the country when they did collapse. Here is the difference. In 2008, the bank difficulties were bad loans, subprime mortgages, high-risk commercial loans, different types of not-so-great lending practices, which contributed to the mortgage market collapse that we saw in 08. That's not the case for the SVB collapse in 2023. It's a completely different set of economic factors. Inflation, Decline in bank investments, the value of the bank investments that have occurred with the Fed's raising interest rates, the need for businesses and individuals to actually use the deposits they have, all created this perfect storm of events and put stress on the banks. Coupled with the amount of information being quickly distributed across social media, the reaction was emotionally driven, and some of it wasn't based on facts. Now, social media didn't really factor into the 2008 banking troubles, so they were able to mitigate that real, real quick. 2023 is a different story. Everybody's getting facts and not all of it is accurate. So that caused people to panic. We all panic when it comes to our money. So what does it mean now? The FDIC sees the bank. They stopped the run on deposits and now they're working through regulatory procedures for how and when deposits will be handled. This will take time to work through. They are ensuring all of the deposits for this specific bank over and above 250000 You can go read articles on FDIC's website about this. I'm not going to go into too much detail because they got it all right there for you to read. But what's next? Well, in my opinion, Silicon Valley Bank's a unique situation. It's viewed as a one-off, not a standard bank. It's not your Bank of America, Chase, Wells, U.S. Bank, Citibank. It's a completely different sector of clientele and risk. Investors and banks alike are saying that we're going to have some bumps and there's going to be some regulatory response by the FDIC, which I believe is appropriate and likely will help mitigate any additional run on the banks. Now, we are seeing more and more talk come out about First Republic Bank. Some of that is emotionally driven. Some of that is factual based. That will be a wait and see moment. But remember this and don't let SVB panic you too much only because of how unique that bank actually is. 
Banks are required to keep liquidity, cash on hand, just like individuals should have an emergency fund for the moments when life decides to kick you in the ass. In the instance of SVB, they were a very unique situation. Most banks do not have their deposit mix or clientele. Don't panic too much. SVB is, of course, in the news. We're going to see a lot more about it, but follow the facts read what's being put out there, and don't let your money decisions be driven by emotional responses to what you might see in a quick TikTok video. Nonetheless, this is a great example of why individuals and businesses alike need to have that emergency fund or cash on hand. If you want to start fast-tracking your money training, getting your emergency fund built up, and of course, just learning about your money game, go grab the Ultimate Beginner Budget Course, my 12-week financial fitness program with all the weekly workouts and routines you need to get financially fit, master your money, and take control of your financial life. Remember to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. Stay financially fit with Coach Hill.